Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. At Zenium, we know it just never ends. Small to mid-sized businesses are drowning in the ever-changing demands of HR administration and compliance. It's not right. You shouldn't have to lose focus on your growth to take care of your people. And that's why at Zenium, you can find everything you need to conquer HR and payroll in one place. You're going to get increased bandwidth, unparalleled expertise, and workplace transformation by leveraging Zenium's HR plus payroll model. Learn more and schedule a call with us at zeniumhr.com. All right, today's guest, I am so pleased to have Brad Zimmerman on the podcast Brad is the co-author of a book called The Great Engagement, How CEOs Create Exceptional Cultures. And this episode really highlights the transformative impact of aligning individual aspirations and organizational purpose and why leaders really should be connecting daily activities, meetings, and initiatives to the broader organizational purpose so that we can ensure that each employee's aspirations contribute to the company's collective goals. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation. We dive into vulnerability, effective leadership coaching, and the crucial role of emotions in the workplace. Enjoy today's conversation with Brad Zimmerman. Brad, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to this. You have a fascinating organization and fascinating podcast from the episodes I've listened to. I so appreciate that. And I'm lucky to have you today because you're, you've launched a brand new book today. And by the time this releases, it'll, it'll be a few weeks later, but it's called The Great Engagement, How CEOs Create Exceptional Cultures and just an important book. I mean, with, yeah, not to plug it or anything. <laughs> and the cover is awesome too. So whoever did your artwork, uh, props to them. I love it. So pretty exciting. You start out the book with a story about a million dollar theft. Um, tell me what that was all about. How does it relate to this whole concept of engagement? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. This is a number of years ago. We did a, a workshop. You know, when we go and work with a client, we work for like a five month engagement and there's a really intensive workshop at the beginning. And that workshop, we have people start looking at, you know, little questions like, what's the purpose of my life? And how does the purpose of my life fit? How does this place as a workplace, how is it a conduit that I can accomplish the purpose of my life? So we had a bunch of people in the financial business and they were kind of the you know typical finance people. They didn't really want to talk about this. They, it was all about money. It's about money, 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 money. But they kept being frustrated with their ability to get anywhere. And during the workshop, we finally had a breakthrough and we got them started to really look at how are we looking to contribute to other people? What's the value proposition in human terms that if we accomplish is going to bring money in? Money is the byproduct. It's not the goal, which is kind of one of the premises of our work and has been for the 32 years that I've been doing this. And there was a couple of guys in it that were kind of quiet, you know, didn't say a lot. It was kind of this weird dynamic. And about three weeks later, because we we do follow-up coaching for like four months after these workshops, and about three weeks later, one of these guys calls me, and he turns out confessing that he had defrauded the bank out of a million dollars. Unbelievable. He told you this? Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, uh, and I said to him, I'm sitting there like a gog with my mouth hanging open, you know, and, and, and I said to him, why did you tell me this? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I think I know. I think you can't, now that you're really looking at the purpose of your life and kind of the bigger picture, I think you can't live with yourself anymore. This, your conscience is killing you. And he was quiet for about five to 10 seconds, which is a long time. And he said, yeah, I think you're right. Wow. So he ended up confessing to the CEO about two weeks later. It took him about two weeks to get the courage up. And uh, it took me that two weeks to coach him into telling the CEO, because we agree to our clients that whatever they tell us is confidential, even though my attorney told me that we were no accessories after the fact to a federal crime and the FBI could come and bang it on the door. So there's a little nail biting there for a little while, but it turned out well. <laughs> it, the outcome was probably good and it probably uncovered a lot of problems inside the organization from, uh, from a culture standpoint that, that probably led to something like that, right? Like that probably just shed light on the, the problems inside the organization. It goes back to what I said before. It was just, they were just all about money. It was all about money. It was all about me. It was all about me being successful, me making enough money, which is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to want to make money. I, I want to make a good living, but it's not the purpose that really animates an organization. And this was a, a relatively new, almost startup organization. And once they got focused on their real purpose as a team, and they used it as sort of the, the guiding North Star for everything they did, all of a sudden they started growing, you know, and I mean, really went on to become a, a regional powerhouse in time, which was very exciting to see. It's interesting you said like purpose is the North Star because that was what was in my head. I'm like, if you had purpose and, and, and clear values, that's your North Star because it informs your your goals, your habits and your day to day interactivity with, with people. It, it is your guiding principle. It's It's where it's, yeah. So it's super important to have that clarity. And a lot of companies probably don't have that. Well, and if I can tag some, one more piece on, and then I'll let you get to your next question, Brandon. We look at it like companies don't have it. We look at it like there's a, well, if we write a mission statement or a vision statement or whatever you want to call it statement, that, okay, now we got it. Now we can get on to the real work. But a company doesn't have a purpose. Each individual within a company has to have an aspiration has to have a purpose of their own that together adds up to the purpose of the company. Without that kind of personal commitment, you got nothing to energize people in the organization. You just got, you know, one of those meaningless mission statements, which there are a heck of a lot of out there. That's kind of the state of the art. Yeah. In the book, you talk about how engagement is about aspiration and empowerment. Talk about how leaders can effectively blend those two elements together to foster more engaged workplace. Wow. That's something we work with leaders, you know, for months on. And I mean, I, my oldest client I've been working with for 20 years, and, and we talk about that about every two to four weeks for 20 years. And it's not that it's remedial. He's He's grown his organization about 12 times over that year. So aspiration, you know, is, is a matter of literally keeping the purpose of the organization. And by purpose, I mean, what's the value that you're committed to providing your stakeholders? What are you looking to contribute? How are you looking to help your customers? How are you looking to help your employees? How are you looking to contribute to making their lives better? Keeping that at the forefront, you know, and in every meeting, I mean, to get real practical about it, every meeting, you know, every conversation should start off with, here's how this subject of our meeting, this initiative, this project, this whatever, here's how it connects 
to what we're committed to as an organization. Here's how it connects to our purpose. Not just the mission of the organization, but even the like the purpose of my department is it contributes to the purpose of the organization. So that's the aspiration part is like, let's keep it in front of us because if we don't keep it in front of us, it disappears. And when we get involved in the humdrum, you know, years ago, Dunkin' Donuts had this great ad where they had this guy in the back room, you know, stirring the, <laughs> stirring the, uh, uh, the, the dough going, time to make the donuts. And that's kind of the way work can become when we don't keep that inspiring, that, that aspiration alive for people. And then the empowerment piece is, you know, just conceptually giving people the authority, letting people use their judgment, letting them use their creativity in order to advance that purpose. How do you help increase people's sense of agency? And with some people, all you need to do is just kind of give them permission. Some people you don't even need to give them permission. You just need to like not hit them over the head when they jump up and take initiative. Some people need a little bit of encouragement and some people need a lot of encouragement. Like they're really uncomfortable. They like being told what to do. So empowering people to really bring their best to the work effort takes a lot. It takes coaching. It takes training. One of the simple ways is by defining people's jobs based on the goal of their job rather than the processes that they need to engage in and to accomplish it. Now, that sounds really simple. But, you know, if you take a customer service department, for example, many times we'll give them, okay, here's your job. You're, you answer the phone. You do this. You do this. You do this. When a customer has this kind of a complaint, you do this. Here's like, here's all the procedures. And I'm constrained. You know, I can, I can only do so much. I can only give so much permission. I'll never forget, I was at a, on an airplane once or at an airport. It was one of the big airlines. I went up to the counter. I said, where's the plane? She said, oh, the, the, the gate was changed. It's down there. I said, did you announce it? No. I said, well, why not? She said, I don't know. They don't ask me these things. And I said, well, where do I need to go? She said, I need to go out the door, across the tarmac, through the other door, da 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 da, da. And I said, what can you do to help me? And she said, I'm really sorry. She was almost in tears. I'm really sorry, sir, but uh, you know, there's only so much I can do. Great example of where she's like not empowered with the authority at all. But yet you look at organizations that are great customer service and they empower their people to please their customers. So kind of a simplistic example, but you know, it's an example of that empowering people giving them authority and, and trusting them, believing that they're committed to the purpose and believing that they have the judgment in order to do what's right. Now, not blind belief when people need to be trained, etc. So I don't mean this to sound like, oh, just right. trust it, it'll be fine. It's hard no. work. <laughs> when we were first talking about your book, uh, you showed uh, on the people watching the video would be able to see it. But on the cover, you've got resignation strike through. And so it's the great engagement. So we're talking about transformational leadership. It's about moving from resignation to engagement. What are some steps that we can start to take to get to that level? Because we went through a lot, a lot of companies went through a really nasty, you know, we call it the great resignation. And uh, I think a lot of companies don't want to go back yeah. there. Well, that's really what that's really what had us write the book was that we realized that, you know, usually when people talk about engagement, they talk about the opposite of engagement. They talk about disengagement. 
But in our work with clients, what we realized over the years is that at the root, like the root cause of disengagement is resignation, is this sense that time to make the donuts. You know, it's the it's this sense that, OK, I got a job, I'm making a living, but, you know, there's only so much difference I can make. I'm just here making a living uh, or I'm here and the purpose is great. You know, I have this, we have this great social purpose, let's say, for example, but I'm really constrained. There's really not much I can do. I just kind of do what I'm told to do. You know, I, I'm operating within these these narrow boundaries. So in order to counteract resignation, it, it goes back to that formula. You know, you not you need to make sure that you take time to help people develop their own sense of purpose. Then you're empowering them, that you're providing them the training, that you're helping by to coach them. And when I say coach, I mean transformational coaching. You know. We are products of our unconscious, just as our cultures are products of our collective unconscious. And, you know, I may have a high need for perfection that that keeps me comfortable. I like to make sure everything's accurate and the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And, you know, like an accountant or an HR administrator or someone, it's a great asset, great strengths in those jobs. But what got us here won't get us to the next level. So at some point, Really effective transformational coaching helps us to see where we're just operating in our comfort zone on autopilot and what new behaviors we can exercise, what new methods we can engage in that are going to help us grow to the next level of effectiveness, which may be the best source of empowerment that there is. And that's really the nature of our work with clients. And there's lots of exercises in the books in the book that help people kind of get in touch with what are those unconscious competencies that are my strengths that work great until they don't. Yeah. That was one of the things I pulled out of your book was like uh, the, the quote that I have written here is every leader transforms themselves continually. And I think it's so easy to get stuck in the rut of the day-to-day grind status quo, the comfort zone. I mean, you, you said it, and I mean, over the years, you've been working with people for, I just said, 30 years. So how has your concept of leadership evolved over those times and having and working with those leaders who are probably stuck? They're not evolving and improving themselves. What have you learned from that? Well, first of all, I'd say that most are evolving and improving themselves. And what we help them do is to accelerate that improvement, you know, because this is human nature. I mean, I'm 68 years old. I've been doing this for 32 years. I get stuck. I notice when I'm stuck. My younger partners, I see them do stuff. It's like, oh boy, I realize how stuck I am. You know, I need to be coached by them. So one of the things that we try to do, or I shouldn't say try to do, one of the things that we do with clients is help them to create a coaching culture. So it's not just about us being their coach for the rest of their lives. It's about helping them create a culture where people are empowered to give one another good, solid feedback without letting our egos get in the way, which sounds so simple, but it's so difficult. Just last week, I was, my partner is Tom is 20 years younger than I am. And another of our associates is 28 years younger. And they're much more adept, particularly in the internet world. I've always been pretty technological capable, but particularly in this sort of new world of the internet. 
And I just get lost. I get lost listening to these guys. And when I get lost, I get overwhelmed and I just click into this. Oh my God, I, I get resigned, frankly. Oh my God, I can't keep up. I, I'm like lost. And I, I need them to say, Brad, stop, just think, you know, stop and think about this and engage. And when they do, and I apply myself and I don't let that resignation turn into being overwhelmed, then I realize, okay, I can keep up. I just need to hang in there, you know? Because one of the things that, that trips me up is I get overwhelmed. I just get like, oh, I can't think anymore, you know? I think it's called anxiety, which is something that, you know, many, 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 many executives cope with. Most of us don't talk about it much. We don't admit it. I actually admit it freely because I want to reduce the stigma around it because as fast as things are changing in our world today, there's lots of people who are very anxious and are dealing with anxiety on a day-to-day -day basis. And we need to be able to talk about it and support one another in, in order to get by it, get past it. Yeah. Like your point about just being overwhelmed with technology, that's a great example because it's like where there's so many inputs, so much stimuli, there's, it's constantly evolving and it'd be so easy for you to get overwhelmed and not process that. And then it spills out eventually because your sink is overflowing, so to speak. And if you're not dealing with that, I mean, we're emotional people. And so if you're not processing that, dealing with it, it's going to come out in the worst kind of ways. It could come out in a meeting, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, could come out in a decision-making thing. And so we have to deal with that, right? And do you know, do you have experience in dealing with and coaching people on dealing with those emotions? Yeah, it's actually foundational to the work and foundational in the book, frankly. We talk about it. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's the famous psychologist that talked about the, I think, seven stages of grief. She talked years ago about that there are two foundational emotions that underlie all other emotions. One of them is fear, which makes sense because our amygdala in our brain is constantly looking, scanning the environment for threats, which a brain researcher in one of our programs recently said the amygdala is essentially an organ that senses novelty. So that means anything that's new triggers some level of fear. Now, we may not be aware that it's fear. It may be underneath the kind of our level of consciousness, but it triggers some level of fear or anxiety. So fear is almost ever present. And on the other side, Kubler-Ross said, is love. Now, she meant love like agape love, as the Greeks talked about, which is the the conscious commitment to making a difference in other people's lives, to contributing to the growth or benefit of another. Now, when we're focused on fear, who are we focused on? Me. When we're focused on love, contributing to others, who are we focused on? Others. So great organizations, the value of having a purpose or a mission that's outwardly focused is it helps people to stay in that emotion or to flip into that emotion of, I really, I get fulfilled by helping other people rather than, oh boy, I got to protect myself. I got to build a fiefdom. I got to keep my information close to the vest to protect myself. All that self-protective stuff. I got to blame other people when things go wrong. Um, I got to gossip about people instead of like engaging and talking to them when, when we have a problem. All those things are human things that we all do. I mean, we notice it when other people do it, but we all do it. But this whole idea of transformational leadership and a transformational culture is literally being able to flip into that focus on others when we notice that we're stuck focused on ourselves and our own fears, which again, sounds really simple, but really a huge challenge. It's what yeah. the whole book is about that. Yeah. 
You and your business partner, Tom, you argue that leaving emotions at home is like asking employees to leave their humanness at home. So how do we, how do we navigate that where there's this balance of, you know, I, I work on it. I want to be professional, but also I could see that I know that there's value in expressing yourself and, and having those emotions at, at work as well, because it shows I'm a real person <laughs> that I deal with stuff at home, just like, like you do, Brad. How do we, how do we balance those things? There's a couple different ways to look at bringing our emotions to work. You know, one of the ways that's not so productive is, is, is when we bring our emotional issues to work and we sort of wallow in them. You know, we look for self-pity. We use it to uh, garner attention from others. There's a researcher, she calls herself a drama researcher, a woman by the name of Cy Wakeman that has a great YouTube video. And she talks about that the average worker wastes something like two and a half hours a day engaged in drama. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, that bringing those emotions to work and just kind of wallowing in them and gossiping and talking about, oh, how terrible that Sally is in accounting and she's out to get me and all that, very counterproductive. Toxic. But being willing to bring, to, to come to work and say, hey, you know, my fears, my, my, my concerns about our ability to get the job done on this project today have really kind of got me by the throat. I'm kind of freaked out and I need some help in getting out of this. It's, I'm focused on the purpose. I'm focused on the goal and I'm having some emotional tension and I need a little bit of support in getting through this, you know? Because without that ability to be able to be open about it and ask for support, what we do is stuff the emotion down, and then it results in all kinds of weird behaviors. Then we get overwhelmed, and then we try to hide the fact we're overwhelmed. I know when I was younger, I had like terrible stomach issues, health issues arise from it for people. So it, it's that. It's learning to productively deal with our fear-based emotions and learning to cultivate our desire to contribute to others and the fulfillment that arises out of that. That's what we mean by bringing, you know, allowing your emotions to come with you to work. When we talk about transformation, we've got to talk about the managers. The managers are, we were talking about this before we started recording, that managers are a key and critical component to an organization um, in a positive or negative way. I think we don't prepare our managers enough before they become managers. That's that's a whole issue in itself. But I think managers, they tend to operate a little differently too. Like I feel like there's micro pockets of cultures inside organizations because one manager may be great and the other not so great. So what are some practices for effective management that you would encourage for this manager group or even for leaders who are coaching their managers? Yeah. And I think by managers, you mean like the middle management you know, level who are really the people who are, you know, close to the front lines in the, in the size organizations that you and I serve in particular. Um, before we get into specific practices, you know, the first question is kind of like, what's the purpose of being a manager, which Sounds incredibly elementary when I say it, I'm sure. However, most of us that get promoted in the management, this is certainly was true of me, got here because we were really good at doing stuff. We were really good at getting stuff done, you know? So we get promoted to managers and we tend to do more of what got us here. So we become super doers and we work more hours and we crank more stuff out. And in between, when we have time, we kind of answer people's questions and maybe address their problems. And if somebody's really a problem, we deal with the big problem child. 
But one of the first things that we do when we work with uh, middle managers and with executives too, frankly, is have them see that your job isn't getting stuff done anymore. Now, some of your guests might be saying, what? Because stuff does need to get done. I'm not ignoring that. But your job isn't to do stuff anymore. Your job is to grow your people. Your job is to grow your people's effectiveness as a manager. And when you grow your people's effectiveness, which means empowering them to get the stuff done, coaching them to get the stuff done, helping them to commit to accomplishing things within a certain time frame, a certain delivery, a deliverable in a certain time frame, which is just kind of basic, good basic management that few people do, that helps people grow and that gets things done. So your job is to get things done through other people. And when there's time left over, then you got to get your stuff done. Now, people frequently say, well, you don't understand. I have this stack like a million miles high of stuff I personally have to get done. That's true. But it's rather like being a parent. You know, as a parent, we got stuff to get done. We got to take out the garbage and clean the laundry and, you know, clean the house and fix the roof and plant bushes and do the, I mean, all this stuff. We all know, right? But when you have kids, you realize that job one is to grow your kids, is to make sure that your kids are healthy, they're productive, and they're, you, know, you get them started on a, a great, fulfilling life. So that's job one, and you pay your attention to that, and you get the other stuff done either in your spare time or you use those chores to help your kids learn to be more responsible, to learn skills, to learn abilities so that they can learn life lessons so as a family unit, you're accomplishing things. And as that parent, your job is to grow your people, your kids, just like it is at work. I feel like you're just speaking right at me, Brad. I've got, I, I've got an 11-year-old and a 10-year-old. And, and <laughs> my job right now, I, I know it, just like as a manager, your job is to grow them and make sure that they can do things on their own. They're safe and healthy and productive and all that. So I, I appreciate what you just said there. One of the things that comes up for me in this conversation about transformation, and you, you talked about it, like building a, a culture of coaching. I know there's barriers. What if somebody doesn't want to be coached? So maybe speak to that. And then any other barriers that you've run across when it comes to transforming the entire culture? Uh, boy. So one of the foundational precepts or requirements in coaching is something that I don't know if I've ever read this. I've read a lot of books about coaching. I don't know if I've ever read it, and I haven't heard other people talk about it. Coaching is only coaching if it's asked for. Now, that doesn't mean it's always explicitly asked for. Somebody runs up and says, hey, I need some coaching, although many times it does. But people have to be open to your coaching. If they're not opening to it, if they're not at least implicitly asking for it, it's going to bounce off, you know, like a cannonball off the side of a fortress. I don't care how forceful you are, how powerful you are, what great insight you think you have, you ain't getting through that fortress wall. So the implication there is if you want to be a coach, you have to be effective at getting people to ask you for your coaching. Now, what does that take? Well, they got to trust you, first of all. You know, they need to see you as having some competency. Yeah, those are the things that people always say. But there's one more piece that's like even more important than those two. Actually, two more pieces. They need to know you're on their side. 
They need to know that you are there to help them grow, to help them advance their career, to help them accomplish what they want to accomplish in life. And if you're their partner in that way, then they'll be much more inclined to open up to you. The other thing is that coaching exists not in the way we speak to one another. It exists in the way we listen. Coaching exists in the listening, which sounds really weird. First time I heard that, I thought, what are they talking about? If I'm listening to you for what can I learn from Brandon today, then I'm bound to learn from Brandon. It's kind of like panning for gold, you know, and you, you put the pan in the stream and you pick up all that sand and grit and gravel. If you're not looking for the sparkly parts, you're not going to find it. All you're going to see is sand and grit and gravel. But if you're looking for, or in this case, listening for the gold, you're going to get coaching out of it. And creating a culture where people are listening to one another that way rather than defending one another is one of the, the foundational pieces to a coaching culture, which takes some time, takes trust, takes psychological safety and psychological courage on the part of members. Because we got to set our fears and our egos aside. Well, Brad, it's been a pleasure having you on. I congratulate you for the book launch today. Well done. It's a great book, a lot of good content, a lot of good resources and exercises in there too. So I encourage people to go check it out. Uh, what, what do you want to say is kind of a last word and of course, share links or resources that you want to share with the group? Um, our website is called phoenixperform.com company is Phoenix Performance Partners. So phoenixperform.com. And there's a link to the book there. And there's a link to some resources there and exercises and a blog and a podcast and various things that you might find helpful. Also, The Great Engagement is the name of the book. And you'll see that the it, it's listed on Amazon. And it's listed as by Tom Willis, because he's the first name in our two names, we co-authored it. So the great engagement on Amazon will give you a lot more depth in the things that we've touched on here with Brandon. Um, so I think those are probably the two things, Brandon. Thank you. It's fantastic. My guest today has been Brad Zimmerman, the co-author of The Great Engagement, How CEOs Create Exceptional Cultures. Brad, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much, Brandon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.